Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. Well, I have a word for you from the Lord, and I'm very excited about delivering it. Um, and I first want to set my timer because he who is not long-winded shall be invited back. So, amen. You know, um, we had the experience, I'm not a dog person, we have a cat named Frankie, um, and I'm not a dog person, but we had the experience of keeping my mother-in-law's dogs recently. Um, Recently she had some medical things uh, happen, and so we kept her dogs for about a week and a half, and that was fun. Uh, we're not a dog household, uh, so to speak, and so we kept her dogs, and uh, dogs are a little bit different than cats, and how many of you all know that dogs like to do different things and like to be all around, but another thing that dogs do is dogs like to bury stuff. They'll actually, they'll bury stuff, and they'll bury anything. They don't care what it is, and dogs will bury things, and what, you know, watching them, what I found is that, you know, dogs, they'll bury anything. They don't discriminate. And anything can be buried in the ground, but just because something's buried in the ground doesn't mean that it's going to reproduce like a plant will. Right? So anything can be buried, but only a seed can be planted. And, you know, what I want to talk to you tonight about, and I just, I feel at home, so can I, like, move around? I like to move around. I like to be animated, you know, and so I know my dad likes to do the same thing, and I, we don't laugh the same, though. I know he's got that laugh. I can't do it. <laughs> That's close, though. That's close. Amen. But tonight I want to talk to you about the assignment that God has for you. The title of my message tonight is called, I'm Not Buried. I'm not buried. I've just been planted. I'm not buried. I've just been planted. And I want to let you know that whatever you might be going through, wherever you're at in life, especially if you're at a hard or challenging place in life, I want to let you know that I have a word for you that wherever you're at is not a prison. It's preparation. Wherever God has you and whatever you feel like might be tough, there is a way out, and soon enough you shall get out. And by faith, God will deliver you out of that thing, but not before the process runs its course. You know, I have four kids. Uh, My wife Nikki's at home. She sends her greeting. And uh, I have four kids as well at home. We have four kids together. I know sometimes it's hard to believe because I look like I'm like 25. And so I'm like, four kids? Really? Were they adopted? What happened? And so, um, and we have four kids at home. And so uh, our youngest two are eight and six. And sometimes my eight-year-old Joshua, sometimes he has the tendency to be tempted to complain. If you have kids in here, you might know what I'm talking about. And you say, boy, don't complain. Just be grateful. You know, other people may have it a lot worse than than you have it. And, you know, I've learned something that kids have the capacity to complain about everything, especially when they get tired, right? Especially if you have little kids that complain about, Daddy, I don't want to eat this. I don't like this. Why do I have to go to bed at this time? I want to watch more TV. I want to play my video game. I don't want to do this or we have to go here today. Not another service. No. 
I've been in three services this week, not another service. I was that guy. I was at service all the time. It's like, man, I'm at service so much, I need a bedroom just somewhere in the church. So, you know, they have the capacity to complain about everything, but as you grow older into a a well-functioning adult, you learn to have self-control. So you learn to be able to control those things that you want to complain about. You learn to be able to control your mouth, control your tongue, and you say, I'm not going to say anything. I'll just be grateful. I'll just be patient, you know, just whatever it needs, whatever the occasion is. And so my question today to you is, are we spiritual adults or are we children? The thing that will distinguish the two is, do we have faith in God or do we just choose to complain to God? Do we have faith in God? Faith that we are walking out his will and he is working all things together for the good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. Pastor Carrick just told us we are focusing on how much God loves us, but if I know how much God loves us, I know that God will not leave us nor forsake us. This is not a prison sentence. It is a growth process. What Joseph went through didn't look pretty all the time, but it was necessary to get him to where he needed to be. What you're going through might not look pretty all the time, but it's necessary to get you to where you need to be, to get the full manifestation of your assignment in this earth. And ultimately, it will advance the kingdom of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Amen. Now, y'all can feel free to speak back to me. If I say something good, just say amen to that. Say amen to that. Isaiah chapter 61. And I'm going to read out of the New King James Version. In Isaiah 61 in verse uh, 1. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Say, I'm anointed. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Now, Jesus spoke this over in the New Testament as well. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting, say I'm planted, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. So your ultimate goal in being planted is not just to be somewhere to say, like, God, I'm doing your will, I'm planted, I hope you're happy. But the ultimate will of God is for you to be planted that he may be glorified. Let's keep going. In verse 4, and they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. And so... Something that my father says, and I really like, and so I'll repeat it. Now, this is the second time I've said it, so the third time, you know, it becomes mine. So, the problem you are facing now is not designed to defeat you. God plans for it to promote you. The problem you are facing right now is not designed to defeat you. God plans for it to promote you. It is a promotion vehicle and a promotion tool. It says in Romans chapter 5, 
and verse 3 through 5 in the New Living Translation. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't necessarily developed all the capacity to rejoice in the midst of the hard situation. Like, I eventually get there, but my initial reaction may be averse to the rejoicing. So I eventually come back to, okay, I got to rejoice. But, you know, initially you have the trial, you have the tribulation, and you're tempted to complain. You're, you're tempted to, to worry and doubt. But what I've learned is that there is no faith in complaining. Complaining is based in worry and doubt because complaining says that I don't have enough faith for my situation to change. So my speech has to be conducive for what I want, not just what I see. So I have to rejoice when problems and trials come. They help us develop endurance. In verse 4, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. I have news for you that whatever you're going through, the trial is not meant to slow you down. It's meant to grow you up. I'm going to say that again. The trial is not meant to slow you down. It is meant to grow you up. One more time. The trial is not meant to slow you down. The trial is meant to grow you up. The Word says that this thing is there to help us develop endurance. Why? Because when we get to the opportunity, we need to have the faith that it takes that is necessary for us to cross over into that promise and whatever's assigned to us. God told me a couple years ago, he gave me a, 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 a better understanding of uh, Hebrews 11.6, as Pastor Carrick had mentioned just previously, that without faith it's impossible to please God. But I got the revelation that without faith it's impossible to achieve your purpose, plan, and destiny on this earth. God's purpose for you is faith-defined. You can't get to certain places in God without faith. His love is always within reach, but you still have to have faith that God loves you. The way you got salvation is you had faith in God's ability to forgive. Faith is not something that we just use situation to situation. It says in Romans chapter 1 that the just shall live by faith. What do we live by? Oxygen, water, we need uh, you know, sh shelter, we need food. Those are things that are not optional. <laughs> if we stop breathing, <laughs> oxygen is not optional. We need that to live. But that's the same way that faith was designed to be for us as believers. The same way. But I have news for you. That our behavior is an indicator of what we believe. It's our behavior. It indicates what we believe. It's a teller of if we really, really believe God or not. You know, sometimes I know we say we believe God, but are we really behaving like we believe him? Give you an example. Everybody's going to help me with this illustration. I know Pastor Carrick loves to do illustrations. I do too. So everybody can help me. It'll take about... 15 seconds. I want everybody to stand up on your feet if you can. If you can. All right. And now, is everybody standing? Great. Okay. Everybody can sit back down, please. 
It's a very easy exercise. See, heaven agrees. That's God saying amen. Good job, David. Okay. And so, in the midst of this exercise, I would be hard-pressed to find one person in this room who had a conscious thought and debated about whether or not that seat had the capacity to hold your weight. The reason why you sat back down, as I prompted you to do, is because you believed that that seat could hold your weight. You believed it so much so that you didn't even have a conscious thought to question it first. You just sat and helped yourself down right back on, on the chair. And you didn't think about it. Now, part of which is because you were already sitting down in the first place. So you were already relying on that chair to hold your weight. And as believers, I think sometimes we forget that God has already been holding us up and holding back so much that we may not be aware of. And his goodness has already been so good that when it comes to the faith battle, it should be just like swimming laps. We just go from faith to faith to faith, to faith, because God, you already provided for me when I lost my job. You already saved my family. You already made sure that I got favor on the job, and I got promoted without a degree over people who had master's degrees. Come on. She got it. That's for her. So when we talk about going from faith to faith, when we talk about trying to live by faith. This is not situational faith. If you want to see the best of God, you have to wake up every day and make a decision. I'm going to trust God past my normal circumstances. It doesn't matter what it looks like because what it looks like currently is not the promise. The condition is not indicative of the promise. The promise is what God has already shown it to be and shown in his word. What is faith? I like to say it like this. Faith is God is who he says he is. He will do what he said he would do. And he's going to do it for you and me. That's what faith is. He is who he says he is. He's going to do what he said he would do, and he's going to do it for me. So come hell or high water, I don't care what it looks like, I am not going to let my speech be an indicator of what I believe and complaining. What I'm going to do is speak the word and believe the word and hold fast to the word and see the word results in my life. Amen? All right, that's my introduction. Genesis chapter 37, turn with me, please. Genesis chapter 37. I like to get a little animated. Hopefully that's all right. Flow. Who said that? Who said that? Flow. Okay. Genesis chapter 37, we see a familiar passage for the several chapters here in 37 and going through 45. Uh, we see Joseph. And... We're at the beginning before Joseph became the vice president of Egypt. This is when he was 17 years old. He was just little Jojo. This is before he had a title, before anything. And in verse 5 of chapter 37 of Genesis, it says, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers. And, and his brothers had already hated him because they saw that his father favored him more than the others. 
And so now Joseph had a dream. He told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please, hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and indeed your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So God has given him a dream. Say, I have a dream. I know we in Georgia, so that's, that's big here. I have a dream. MLK. We love MLK. Um, so he had a dream, and God did not give him that dream to torment him with that dream. He gave him that dream to give him a vision to give him a passion to propel towards that dream. God has given us things in our hearts that sometimes we can't explain. I actually didn't grow up wanting to pursue ministry. A lot of people don't know that. I actually grew up and I wanted to be a cardiologist since the age of five. I wanted to be a cardiologist, a heart surgeon. I just didn't, I didn't know why. I didn't know a whole lot about it. I knew what they did. I knew there were doctors who operate on the heart, but I just always had an affinity, a passion, and that's what it was going to be. And, you know, I, would, I got to college and people would ask. They would say, you know, uh, well, what are you studying? What do you want to do? And they're like, oh, okay, well, why do you want to do that? And I said, I don't, I don't know. And it wasn't that I didn't know. It was that I couldn't articulate why that certain passion had just been put in my heart. And some of you all might be able to relate that there's a passion that's been put there, and you keep being drawn to something. You can't quite articulate why it is that it is. But it wasn't until I was at the age of 22 and um, I was down in Tulsa and, and I was at a young adult conference and God really spoke to my heart and, and called me into full-time ministry and just kind of gave me a revelation of what his original plan was for me. But it wasn't until I got in ministries and some years later that God brought back to my remembrance and gave me full understanding of what that meant. That God had called me to be a cardiologist, but I had the wrong interpretation of that. Because I thought that a cardiologist was somebody who does physical heart surgery. But God had called me to be a cardiologist in the spirit and do spiritual heart surgery to mend the broken hearts of men and to be able to help equip the body and uh, the believers and the saints. And it wasn't until I got that understanding that I saw, wow, I was always pursuing the purpose. I just had a misinterpretation of the purpose. God has called you to some things. God was calling Joseph to leadership, even at the age of 17. So let's keep going in verse 23. It says, so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into the pit. And the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. So, so this, this could have killed him. There was no water in it, no food in it. So this was meant to kill him. I want you to note that. But in verse 25, they sat down, the brothers sat down to eat a meal, and they lifted their eyes, and they looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said this to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, 
and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. And so the Midianite traders, they passed by, and the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, this is so important, because let's follow this progression. I actually did a study because this part actually helps us conceptualize what was going on. So brothers took Joseph, threw him in the pit. It was meant to kill him. They were going to leave him there. But then we see that Judah said, no, no, let's sell him. But the reason why Judah said, let's sell him, is because that was prompted by what he saw. What did he see? The traveling band of Ishmaelites. Well, that's interesting, because they, be, they just happened to be going down to Egypt. But if you go back and do a study, you'll see that where they were in Dothan, which is where they threw him in the pit, that was actually between Gilead and Egypt. And there's about two to 300 miles between Gilead and Egypt. And Dothan's in the middle. So you have this traveling band of Ishmaelites that have probably traveled 100 plus miles that happened right at the time that they sat down to eat a meal that happened to be passing by. This was not a coincidence. This was divine transportation for uh, Joseph to be able to be transported to the environment that was conducive for his dream. This was not a coincidence that these Ishmaelites could have been uh, uh, traveling for days, even weeks. So what's the chances that they just happen to pass by at the same exact moment that they're right there and they've thrown them into the pit? And Judah didn't even have the idea until he saw them and said, wait a minute, let's just profit off this. And the brothers agreed. You know why the brothers agreed? Because the blessing was on Joseph. Because God's hand was on Joseph. Because Joseph was on assignment. And what the enemy meant for bad, God can use for good when we don't lose faith and we keep our integrity. And he will use what the enemy is trying to do to destroy you just to facilitate his master plan. We see it right here in the scriptures. God will not leave you to die or be tormented with your dream. If you trust him, he will transport you to the place when the full expression of the dream can be seen and actualized. Give you an example. Personal example. So... Um, I got my degree in health and exercise science at Oral Roberts University, and um, I got married. I had just turned 23 years old, got married to my wife, had my two oldest sons, stepsons, and so had a family already. And I was working at one of the local health clubs as I was in grad school, and so I was working as a personal trainer. But here comes another opportunity to uh, get into another position making more money, and doing something good. It was actually with a Christian media company there in the Tulsa area, and they had several different locations all throughout the U.S., but it was commission-based, but there was also a good base pay. And so I said, man, this is great. I really think I can do this. And I you know, fasted, I prayed. You know, you, you, you do all the things to make sure you're in divine alignment, right? So I fasted, come on, fasting. I prayed, I prayed up, came to the refuel, and prayed, prayed it through. And I felt the Lord releasing me. 
And so I said, okay, and I talked it over with my wife, and she said, go for it. And I had applied for the job, they asked for an interview, and they're like, we want to hire you. I said, great, I want to be hired. So I accepted, Monday morning came, and I started my new job. It was great, we were doing orientation and uh, doing all the training things. First day was great. Second day, doing more training and orientation, kind of got a little bit more hands-on. It's like, yeah, this is good, about to dominate, yeah. And come Tuesday afternoon at like 4.50 p.m., they call everybody into the conference room, and I didn't know any better. This is my second day there. Call everybody into the conference room, and they said, we want to meet with everybody. We have something important to discuss. I'm like, okay, cool. And I thought, hey, maybe this is normal. Went into the conference room, and the uh, general manager of that location looked sad, and he said, you know, I've just gotten word and information from the owners of the company, and unfortunately, there's some challenges going on. And this was actually right when the, um, the recession was hitting, the housing crisis, you know, was hitting. And, and so people were losing their jobs, and they said, you know, unfortunately, um, the losses have been too great, and today we are cutting 90% of this branch. So massive layoffs. And I remember my first thought. I'm 23. I'm a little naive. I said, man, that's terrible for you guys. <laughs> and you know, I didn't really understand seniority yet at that part, at that point. You know, I, I figured they had just hired me. Come on, I've just been hired. So I figured like, okay, clearly they're not gonna hire me to fire me. So I was like, yeah, I've just been hired. Of course they're not gonna fire me. So they started giving pink slips. You know what the pink slips are? Start giving pink slips to everybody and notifications. This will be your last day. You could pick up your check at this place. And I remember they came around and gave me one. And then my second thought was like, okay, maybe this is some weird initiation. You know, maybe I'm being punked. Like, what, what is this? Come on, guys. Come on. What is this? What is this? You guys got me. Okay. But then I see real tears rolling down real faces. I'm <laughs> like, oh, this isn't a joke. <laughs> and then real fear tries to instill and set in in my heart. <laughs> I said, I got to tell my wife this. What is going to happen? And I remember just standing there. I was the last person standing in the conference room. And I remember just having this internal dialogue with God. And I was like, but God, what, what's happening? I got in the car and I was like, but but God, why would, you, why would you lead me here? If you knew what was going on, why would you hire me to fire me? Why would you lead me to this place where now I'm feeling like I'm at a dead end? I remember God just said, just trust me. I was praying that next morning, and my wife, she's so wonderful, she's so gracious. She was like, okay, that's fine, we'll just trust God. She was still working at the time. She said, we'll just trust God, all will be well, don't worry. Like, you know, and I'm concerned as a man, I'm like, babe, I, you, like, I know you know me, but I'm not a loser. Like, I'm not like the guy who's like not gonna work, and you, you work and handle it all. Like, I'm, I'm gonna get a job. And she said, don't worry about it. And I remember what God told me that next morning, and I'll never forget it. Because I said, you know, maybe I can go back and get my old job. I was on good terms with my manager. They hadn't hired at my position yet. And I'll never forget what God said. He said, do not go back to Egypt. He said, I have brought you out for a purpose.
And I was like, my God. And so I just trusted God. And for four months, God supplied everything that we needed. And what the challenge was is I had resigned my personal training job, and then I accepted the new job. But as being a terminated employee of the new job, I hadn't been there for six months or more. So in order to get unemployment, you have to be at that current job for six months or more, and you have to not resign off your own will, your own volition. So I was stuck in the middle. And I'm like, okay, here I am stuck in the middle, but you know what? God supplied all of our need, and we had more money in the bank account during those four months than when I had been working previously, and only God can do that. But the thing it reminded me of at the end of it was that I have to trust God because at the end of that four months, don't you know I started working for the ministry and that lead, led me to move there and led our family to move there the next year, start doing youth ministry and the rest is history. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? But God used me getting laid off as a transportation vehicle for me getting to the next place in my assignment. And I said, God, well, why? And, you know, sometimes God knows us, well, all the time, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And sometimes we'll get comfortable in a place and we won't want to leave, so God will help facilitate us getting to the next place in our assignment. Amen? Amen. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 39. Let's keep going. Genesis chapter 39. So we see Joseph, and he's now in Egypt. In Genesis chapter 39, in verse 1, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And, um, and then he's in Potiphar's house. And in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor. Say, I have favor. In his sight and served him. Oh, you don't have to say that part. Thank you. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. And then it uh, goes on to say that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on him. And that all that Potiphar had, he left in Joseph's hands and didn't even know what he had. He trusted Joseph that much. So the blessing was on Joseph. But then what happened? We see Potiphar's wife. She got him caught up. And Joseph didn't do anything wrong, but Joseph got caught up in that, uh, you know, sexual harassment suit. <laughs> and she was saying, hey, you know, this is what Joseph was trying to do. Joseph was trying to lie with me. And then they threw him in the jail. And fast forward to verse 20. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison on a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is always with you, and showed him mercy and gave him favor. Even in the prison, he had favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison commented, uh, uh, excuse me, committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the Lord continued to make Joseph prosper. So the devil thought he had buried Joseph. He thought he was like, okay, well, Joseph went over here, but now I'm going to get him in prison. Well, what did I tell you? You are not in a prison sentence. It's just a growth process. This is not prison. It's the process. 
And so what happened? Joseph was down there, and Joseph started to utilize the, uh, uh, the thing, the gift that he had inside of him. He started to utilize it because in the next chapter, he starts practicing his gift. And then, you know, the people had dreams down there, and Joseph started to interpret those dreams. And so he had a unique gift and ability. But if you go to Genesis chapter 40 and verse 23, it says this. In verse 23 of chapter 40, as Joseph was exercising his gift, Joseph said, hey, you know, when you get up there, because you're being released. When you get back up there to the king, put a good word in for me. Anybody ever had that? Like, yeah, put it, can you put in a good word for me? The young people like to say, can you put me on? Can you put me on? Can you help me out? So maybe you can spread my resume around, or maybe you can ask your boss, are they hiring, or do they have any more position? Maybe they can create something. But check this out. It says in verse 23, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And verse 1 of the next chapter, then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And this dream he had, he had nobody to interpret it, but boom, where was Joseph? After two years, Joseph could have given up, he could have lost hope. After two years, said, man, I, okay, fine, I guess it's not working out. But Joseph kept hope and he kept faith. But God knew that Joseph was down there, right? God didn't forget about him, right? God hasn't forgotten us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And he knows exactly where we are. He's waiting for the climate to start requiring our gift that we have inside of us. He's waiting for the climate to be conducive to be able to be prepared to receive us for what is inside of us. And so one man says it like this. He says, you can be anointed but not announced. See, Jesus lived on this earth. We forget Jesus lived on the earth for 30 years before he did miracles, before he led ministry, before he had the entourage, before he had the deacon board of the uh, disciples, before he was multiplying loaves and fishes before he entered into the boat and was on the other side, before he was healing people, before, you know, he was taking the oil and going down the healing line. 30 years he was on this earth. Now, Jesus was the perfect son. He never sinned. So can we say that he was living outside of purpose all of those 30 years? No, we can't say that. So if he wasn't doing his ministry purpose, he must have been doing another part of purpose. Preparation is part of purpose. He was being prepared. It didn't mean he wasn't anointed at age 5, wasn't anointed at age 12, wasn't anointed at 16, 22, 29. He had always been anointed, but he just wasn't prepared and ready to be announced. The earth wasn't ready yet to receive what he had inside of him. So I know you can be anointed. I know you have the gifts and talents and abilities, but you can be anointed but not ready to be announced because God is still preparing some things inside of you and also in the culture that you're going to affect. And I had to learn that. I got in ministry and served in youth ministry, still serving as a youth pastor, and I serve as the director of Bill Winston Ministries, and I have different other pastoral functions in the church. But for the first several years, dare I say the first six years, I didn't accept speaking engagement requests. 
because the Lord was very specific when I first got back to living word. He said, build my house, not your kingdom. He said, I'm preparing some things. And it was easy to do because I'm here to serve. No egos, no agendas. I am here to serve. So I did that. And I turned down lots of things. But I knew I was doing it on purpose for a purpose. And you know what? Looking back, there was probably, I probably wasn't ready either. There were some things that were being prepared inside of me. And you know what? The culture, the environment, the earth wasn't maybe yet conducive for the message that God wanted to send through me as a vessel. So now he's prepared it, and now he's prepared me. So now he's changed what used to be no build my house to go. The season I've entered into is a go season. Somebody in here is entering into a go season that the door was closed before, but the door is opening for you to go now. Now, what I've learned is you got to have courage. you got to have courage because you can start to doubt, well, how are we, people going to receive me? Maybe I don't have the education to do this thing. I don't have the same experience or expertise to do this thing. I can't do it like him. I can't speak like her. I can't do the organization like he did it. I don't have the finances, the money, the backing. I don't have the connections. God has everything you need already supplied. All you have to do is say yes. If it's his will, it's his bill. And if he's given the vision, you better believe that there's the provision. Nobody is here on earth on assignment by God and expected to self-fund their assignment. So if you have an assignment that has been given by God, I remind God of his word that you are covenant-mandated to be able to provide for my assignment. You'll provide everything I need. Joseph didn't have to call an Uber to get to Egypt. He got free transportation. He didn't have to have the the right education in order to now get to this place of being the vice uh, president of Egypt. He didn't have to go to, as my dad says, ranch management school. He didn't have to have an MBA. Why? Because it was prophetically destined and designed for him to get to a place. All he had to do was not lose heart, not lose hope, keep his faith, keep his trust, keep his integrity, keep his attitude right, and God will see him through. Amen? Let's keep going. The anointing on your life is powerful enough to elevate you up out of any situation, condition, or environment. Say that again. The anointing on your life is powerful enough to elevate you up out of any situation, condition, or environment. So Joseph was called out of the dungeon to interpret dreams, and boom, then he uh, gets elevated and promoted as the vice president of Egypt, and he's only second to Pharaoh. So what I've learned is that the right environment is necessary for growth and development. And if I could get my example here, what I'll do is... I'll let you, here, I'll take this. I'll let you hold this plant. Yeah, I'll take this. Okay, so so this is what I want to do. I want to explain something. So I am not a gardening type of guy. I do not have what they call a green thumb. If you leave me alone with your plants, I probably will kill them. (laughs) Not intentionally, it just happens. And so that's not kind of my skill set. But last year, we wanted to do some different things with our landscaping. Does anybody in here do landscaping or gardening, even in your home or other people's home? Okay, and so 
Um, you, know, you know that as you do landscaping, there are different requirements. And this is what I found out. I went to the landscaping place. I went to the nursery. I said, hey, we want to do some minor landscaping things. We want to put some lilacs and hydrangeas. And my wife says she wants the purple ones over here and some of those things. And so they're like, OK. And they started asking a bunch of questions. What's the water going to be like? Is it going to be watered? Is it going to be well lit? Lots of sun, some shade, lots of shade. And they started talking about zones and everything. And I was like, what y'all talking about? I don't know. It's just, I'm a guy. It's just a plan. I don't know. And so they started asking me all these questions. And so as they're asking me all these questions, I had to give them their answers. But what I learned is that there are 20 zones, about 20 zones approximately, in um, North America. And the zones uh, are designated to different areas of North America. And the uh, upper zones, like in Canada, start with like zero and even might go negative, and then they go all the way down to maybe 15 or so, um, and keep going south, you know, into Mexico and everything. And the reason why they have different zones is because not everything can grow in the same climate. So this right here is a Hosta Patriot plant, and it is rated for zone three through six. So I looked it up. Atlanta's in zone eight. Chicago's in zone five. And so some of these plants are better suited for different zones. And so as we went through that, I started to understand. I said, huh, that's interesting that different plants won't grow in different zones. Have you ever been to a tropical environment? You see something there, but that same thing won't grow up north. I have um, my sister-in-law and her husband and family. They live in Montana, and I think that's zone like two maybe. It's way up north. It's cooler. You get a lot of snow and everything. So the same things that grow in Atlanta, they don't grow in Montana. So the same seed that's planted here that can grow and thrive won't thrive in the wrong environment. And what I've learned is that God has us planted in this earth as a seed. But we have to make sure that we give God the allowance to plant us in the proper place that is most conducive for our skill set, for our gifting, for the things that God has for us to do. Because I can plant different seeds in different places and get minimal results. Or I can plant it in the right zone and get extraordinary results. So I've learned that it is important where you are planted. And what God did with Joseph, he'll do with you. That his dream was too big to be in Dothan. He couldn't control things from Dothan. He had to be moved and shifted around. Maybe God sees that you can't control things from Smyrna or Marietta. But for your assignment, you have to be transplanted to New York to be able to control things the way you need and for the environment to be able to give you what you need so you can grow up into the person that the world needs. But what I've learned is we can't fight when God wants to plant us, whether it's a job or a family, or a schooling, or a program, or a different suburb. We have to be sensitive to the voice of God, to be planted wherever God has for us to plant and be planted. And God will provide the transportation vehicle. Come on. Amen.
Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Come on. Let's finish this up. Amen. Hallelujah. Joseph wasn't planted in the right environment. We got to be planted in the right environment. So what are some keys? We got to maintain the right perspective. It says in John chapter 14 and verse 26 in the New Living Translation, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of things I have told you. So the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is there to help cultivate and craft our perspective. Because a lot of times we get down in, into the situation and the situation tries to corrupt our perspective. And so because the perspective starts to get darkened, it's hard to see where God now is taking me. What I've learned is that the Holy Spirit will help me keep my perspective right. So we had a chance to go to the gun range, took my oldest two sons to the gun range. It was my first time going there a couple years ago, but the time we went, <clears throat> maybe last year the time we went, we actually got a proper training. <laughs> so it wasn't just like, you know, we was up in there like, bah, 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 bah. but we actually got a formal training on how to hold a gun, how to assemble, disassemble, what to do, you know, what not to do, how to get the best results, how to shoot straight. So I'm right-handed, so I want to shoot right. I want to shoot right. It's my comfortable hand. I like this hand. Sometimes you cock it to the side, you know, do whatever you do. But what I found is that when I held it in my right hand, it kept going the wrong way. And I kept hitting off center. I would go, you know, maybe left and keep going left. And I'm like, like I feel like it's, I'm aimed toward the center, but it keeps going to the left. And through the training, what we found is that you have a dominant eye and an eye that is not as dominant. So as you kind of do this quick little test, you can find out what is your dominant eye. And my left eye is actually my dominant eye. You know, you think your right side, but it's actually my left eye. And what they taught us is that you have to hold the gun with the side on your dominant eye. And as you look through your dominant eye, you look through the eyepiece, and as you hold it, <clears throat> boom, you'll hit it, and it will shoot straight. But I wasn't comfortable with that. I don't want to use my left hand. I want to use my right hand. This is the one I'm comfortable with. But I noticed that when I kept doing it, it would go off, and then I would do on the left, and it would shoot straight, even though I was less comfortable with it. But I learned that if I do it with my right, because my left is dominant, I'll have the wrong perspective. So when I have the wrong perspective, my results are off. My aim is off. I feel like I'm hitting it, but I'm just missing it. I feel like I'm going the right way, but I keep missing it. And I had to lean back on my left side, something that I'm more uncomfortable with in order to reposition and get the right perspective to hit the target that I'm trying to hit. How many times do we miss the target and we feel like we're doing everything we need to do, but then we're not giving the Holy Spirit access to reacclimate our perspective and we have to lean back on something that we are less comfortable with in order to get to the results that we're looking for. Some of us have gifts and talents that we don't even know about, and we haven't been formally trained in, which makes us hesitant to lean back on that. But as we start to lean back on it, God will supernaturally accelerate the growth of that thing and get us to the place where we're trying to go. Amen? Amen. So we have to have the right perspective. 
Perseverance, we got to have perseverance. A seed can only keep growing as long as it is planted. A seed that gets plucked out of the ground can never grow. A seed doesn't grow in your hand. It grows when it's planted in the ground. So I've learned that I can't let the enemy entice me to leave where I have been planted. A lot of people try to leave where they have been planted because it gets hard. Job gets hard. I want to leave. But have you consulted the Holy Spirit? Because you might have just been planted. You're not being buried in this situation. You are strategically planted to change the culture. Oh, the school, I don't like this school. Maybe you've been strategically planted to change the culture. Oh, I don't like this church. They're doing this and doing that. Maybe you've been strategically planted to grow. Because a seed will never grow if you pick it up every day and plant it into new soil. That's not the process. A seed has to die first in order to grow. And I've learned that growth doesn't often feel real comfortable. Often it can make us a little uncomfortable. It exposes flaws and issues. It exposes some things in the heart. It makes us go through things that make us feel like maybe we might be ill-equipped. But the process is necessary because the more we go through the process, the more we learn how to rely on the Holy Spirit. When a seed dies, it can grow. It says in uh, John chapter 12, verse 24, New Living Translation, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel or a seed of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. I believe that fruitfulness is the ultimate goal of God. Fruitfulness. When a seed is buried long enough, it starts to bud. And it starts to grow. Apple seed, it starts to grow and bud. And pretty soon it'll turn into a tree. And pretty soon it'll start giving off fruit. And that fruit is not necessarily for the benefit of the tree. The fruit is for the benefit of me and you. But within the fruit is more seed. So when we stay planted, other people don't miss out on the benefit of being blessed by our perseverance in being planted. What if Joseph gave up? How would his family have been saved? Because ultimately, God used him to save a lot of other people and his family. They were blessed by the fruit of his planting and his faithfulness. It says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into diverse trials and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and let patience have its perfect work, that you be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So patience can have a perfect work. So if there's a perfect work, then there must be something that is imperfect also. So when I begin to be impatient, then that proceeds an imperfect work. But if I am patient, then I will let the perfect work take hold. But I have to do it by faith. And so as I do it by faith, things will grow. I heard one man say this, and I love this. For those of us who are being met with challenges that we don't feel qualified to solve, leaders are constantly met with new challenges daily. If you are not being met with new challenges consistently, you are not a leader. You are a repeater. And I said, wow, that's good. If you're facing new challenges daily, that's leadership. Somebody has to do it first. You're the first in your family. Great. That's leadership. 
Nobody else in the neighborhood has done it first. Oh, great. Somebody always had to be the first at something. Somebody had to do the first phone, and then the first iPhone, the first flip phone. Somebody had to do the first airplane. Somebody had to do the first Bible. Somebody had to build the first structure of what would become a church. They said, this is, this is not normal. But what God has called you to do is not normal. Because it has never been actualized in this earth what God wants to do through you, through your specific personality and skill set. If God has called you to be a teacher, you say, well, that's a common thing. But God has never seen, or the world has never seen, you be a teacher. They may have seen them be a teacher, but they've never seen it expressed through you. So when it's expressed through you, it becomes invaluable to everybody in the earth. Because there's only one you. So let's finish this up. Six responses of someone who has been planted and not buried. Six responses of someone who has been planted and not buried. You don't stop praying or communicating with God. A response of somebody who has been planted, not buried. You don't stop communicating to God. You don't stop praying. It said in Daniel chapter 6 that when they made that unjust law against Daniel, he didn't stop praying. He continued to pray three times a day, opened the windows wide, and prayed right there. You see, Joseph didn't give up or lose heart. It says in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas were in prison, they were praying and singing hymns unto the Lord. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Number two, you continue to praise and worship God and give thanks always. You continue. This is the countenance of somebody who's been planted and not buried. You continue to give praise and worship unto God. Number three, you let God have his will over your will. Even Jesus said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. See, in the same sentence, he was saying, I don't want to do this, but hold on, let me remind myself, this is not about me. Not my will, God, but your will be done, because I know that I am planted. So before I move from this place that I've been planted from, let me get your okay on it. Because I don't want to uproot my success. Number four, recognize that you have been anointed for this. You've been anointed for this. What God has called you to, it's something special. And God will always put his super on your natural when you are being obedient to him and doing what he's called you to step out and do. There's nothing normal about what you're about to do. Because there's nothing normal about the anointing. God said, you have my spirit with you. And I'm with you always. I've sent you the teacher. He'll teach you all things. Right now, I am, I am doing a job that normally would require a master's in business administration or organizational leadership. I didn't plan on being the director of Bill Winston Ministries. That was not in my plan. Pastor Carrick knows something about uh, things not being in the plan. That was not in my plan. And, you know, for the first year, I wrestled with that. God, can I do this? Because I don't have the formal education. But God says, I've got something better than formal education. I've got the anointing. And the anointing can teach you all things. It can show you things that people had to go to school for and spend lots of money for. I think school is great. 
but the anointing is something that I must have. And God has prospered uh, the ministry in, in mega great ways, and that's to God's glory. Number five, walking in love and forgiveness. Don't get mad at people. Don't get mad at people. Yeah, people, they may set you up sometimes. They may disappoint you sometimes. They may lie on you sometimes. Joseph got caught up with Potiphar's wife, and she, she lied on him. That's not right, and that's not just. But it never gives us the justification in holding ought against someone else. Unforgiveness doesn't hold others back. It holds you back. So I've learned in the midst of being planted, I must walk in love because faith works by love. And if I'm not walking in love, then the power source to my faith is now dead. And number six, all seeds. Say all seeds. All seeds have an expectation for growth. Every seed in this earth is expected to grow if somebody plants it. I don't buy seeds at the store and say, man, are these seeds good or are they faulty seeds? A seed is a seed, and a seed knows what to do. Put it in the right environment, give it the right conditions, and it's going to grow. But you have to recognize that all seeds have an expectation for growth. So if you are being planted somewhere, you have to expect that God is going to grow and flourish you in the midst of that assignment. In John 15, 16, he said, we are chosen to bear good fruit, and that fruit should remain. God shows you not just because of who you are, but because of who you could become. Because he saw you becoming somebody great somebody of prominence and significance, whether that's in the community, maybe that's in the city, maybe that's in the church, maybe it's in a school or organization somewhere, maybe that's worldwide, maybe that's national. But God saw you becoming somebody prominent through the anointing because you're created for his glory. He's counting on your success. And what he wants you to remember is that you're not serving a prison sentence. You're just in the middle of a growth process. The trial is not meant to slow you down. It's meant to grow you up. Don't abort the process. Trust God and he will take you everywhere that you have been assigned to go. Know that God has your best interest in mind. This thing isn't just about you. We just, we just reap the benefits as individuals. This is about kingdom. How can we express God's kingdom? And what I want to do is I want to make sure that I do everything that I am supposed to do on this earth. I want to die empty. I want to leave it all out there, leave it all in the earth, make every deposit, every connection, do everything that he's called me to do to advance the kingdom. And I don't want to stand before him and say, because I was impatient or because I just didn't want to stay planted, I wasn't able to achieve what you had for me. I want to stand before him and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And say, hey, you were faithful over the things that I gave you, the opportunities I gave you, the influence I gave you, and I was glorified through you. I'm just here to remind you as we're here to refuel. We're almost at the halfway point of the year. Just know, whatever you're going through, you have not been buried You've just been planted. Continue to give God the thanks and the praise 
and act like it's done because your deliverance is here. Your victory is here. I want you to stand with me. Let's just pray and, and declare some things in the spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father God, for being a good God, an awesome God, a merciful God, a loving God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are in the process of growth. We are here serving the kingdom and that you have great and precious promises for us, Lord, that we are taking hold of by faith. Let us not lose heart. Let us be like Joseph, Father, that in everything, in every trial, circumstance, and situation, we will let patience have its perfect work. Lord, we will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And by faith, Lord, we will dominate in this earth. Lord, I speak into this atmosphere and I speak, Lord, new promotions, Father, for people who have been faithful. I speak transitions, Lord, for people who are ready to be transitioned to the next thing, to the next level. I thank you, Father, for double salaries for those who have been struggling, Lord. They've been serving the kingdom. They've been diligent. They've obeyed, and now they will eat the good of the land. I thank you, Father God, for those who have steadfast on your word who have been strong in your word, believing on your healing power of your word. I thank you, Lord, that your plan and purpose is true and that your word says that by your stripes, we are healed in Jesus' name. So I decree and declare divine healing right now in the name of Jesus. That every cell, muscle, bone, and ligament, and tendon, Father, every system in that body must line up with the word of God. We thank you, Father God, for reconciliation of families in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for wisdom that you said if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of you and you will pour out freely. We thank you, Father, for divine wisdom. We thank you, Lord, for the spirit of might. We thank you, Lord, for new things being built, Father, new things being birthed, new organizations, Lord, new buildings, Father, new, uh, um, uh, uh, even new positions, Father, at jobs. We thank you, Father, for uh, new births even in families, Lord. For those who may have struggled to have a child, Father, we thank you that the fruit of the womb is blessed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for doubling revenues for businesses, Lord. Hallelujah. I hear doubling in the revenues for businesses. We thank you, Lord, that you will lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. I speak creative ideas and inventions right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, that you enlarge our capacity to receive from you, Lord. Enlarge our thinking right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father God, for new schools being started. I hear in the Spirit charter schools being started and private schools being started. I thank you, Father, for daycares and nurseries and those things that are being used to train up a child in the way that they could go. I thank you, Father God, for new political positions, Father, that all regimes are being replaced, Father, by those who you have marked, Lord, for your glory, for your purpose. Heavenly Father, we just speak forth scholarships right now in Jesus' name. Scholarships for those assignments, Lord, that you have for higher education and higher learning. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We will give you all the thanks and glory and honor and praise. 
It's not our own doing, Lord. It's by your spirit that we live and move and have our being. We thank you that you will give all the glory, Lord, and that you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you that we can lay all of our burdens, cast all of our cares on you, Lord, because you care for us. And we are not hopeless in any situation, Father. But you said nothing is impossible for those who believe, Father. We have belief, Lord, and we believe that it is done for us right now. In Jesus' name. Now give God the praise and thanks. It is done. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.